with the scent of potpourri Films would commit to memory Crossing the felt ropes Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can see They tell me I view obsessively Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly podcast that reviews one or two new release titles every episode with an occasional free-for-all segment at the end of the show that we call Poopery. You can find more of our work, including written reviews, full episode show notes, and the complete backlog of our episodes at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also write into the show by emailing me at matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And if you'd like to support us and get access to hundreds of exclusive episodes, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer, where you can get get access to content at any of our tier levels on a recurring monthly subscription basis, or you can buy individual collections of episodes a la carte in the Patreon shop section. Uh, this week on the Patreon, I am continuing my Flanagan Fridays and Sci-Fi Saturday series, uh, still on The Haunting of Hill House and still on Season 2 of Foundation, which is slightly getting a little bit better so that's definitely good um i also have some patreon potpourri stuff out there which is just collections of four movie reviews usually from stuff that i watch on criterion channel so uh, check that out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer um i'm your host matt hurt and you can find me on social media including letterboxd at obsessive viewer and in our featured review this week we'll be reviewing matthew vaughn's latest movie argyle which opened in theaters uh this past week by the time you're listening to this on on February 2nd. And for this week's secondary review, we're going to be covering David Ayer's latest movie, The Beekeeper, which is currently wrapping up its theatrical run and is now available on uh, PVOD as of January 30th. And joining me tonight to do that is my friend and IFJA colleague, Mr. Nick Rogers, who can be followed on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash ragecage with a K, 79. And you can also read his work, including his monthly Class of series, in which he reviews titles celebrating a milestone anniversary on midwestfilmjournal.com. Welcome back to the show, Nick. It's been a while since you've been on. How's it, how's it going, yeah. man? It, it has been a while. Thanks for having me. We were actually just talking at the Argyle screening the other night that yeah. it was it was like a year exactly, I think, mm-hmm. the last time that I was on the show. And we were talking Knock at the Cabin, which was like a, a year to the day almost as the screening for Argyle. Yep. And In same, same studio, theater. Universal, same theater. Yep. It was like 2024, <laughs> 2023, time has no meaning it's a flat circle exactly true True detective is back so (laughs) you know there we go right have you been glad glad to be here yeah thank you thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with me of course um have you watched any of the new true detective i can't remember i watched watched the first episode uh but i have not yet watched the second and third and i think it's only six episodes this installment if i remember reading that correctly so it's halfway over Uh, i like the (laughs) pilot i like the pilot it it, it, you know i i have enjoyed all of the Mm. seasons so far the the three that they've completed uh i mean the first one is i think remains you know by far the best but Mm -hmm. um i think if the colin farrell vince vaughn rachel mcadams taylor kitsch season had followed anything else it probably would not have gotten as many uh, negative marks but yeah so it went yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is such that was such a just 
like those those were just monumental shoes to fill and i know that there was oh, a yeah. quick turnaround time too like i know uh nick pizzolato um yeah. i i get from what i remember like he had worked tirelessly on crafting the first season for like a long time and then yeah. then you know a year turnaround time for season two and yeah it's a classic yeah. it's the, it, it's the classic dilemma you you work for years and years and years and you have a hit and they're like what do you have for us tomorrow right exactly <laughs> yep right so <laughs> you're yep. speaking to a guy with three podcasts so i know exactly what they're, you mean that's right that's right <laughs> beast feeding yes yes beast feeding all the way yes and speaking of feeding the beast um i do i did want to mention first of all that you have been hitting the ground running with a ton of stuff um in terms of film reviews like uh, I took a look and you have written reviews for already. This is we're recording this February 1st and you have written reviews for Lyft, Self-Reliance, The Book of Clarence, One More Shot, The Beekeeper, Fighter, and then, of course, uh, the Class of series in which you are spinning it off into a new series as well. Do you want to talk a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah, a little bit. So, um, yeah, I would say, I guess, to, to your first point, this has mm -hmm. been maybe an atypically prolific January as far as I'm concerned, but I, I've sort of been like, Okay, if I can if I can knock out something short but meaningful about this movie, it's you know it's worth doing. And so mm -hmm. um, some of those have been just kind of larks, I guess, of things that I you know just sort of watched and had a perspective. Um, nice. One more shot, kind of being the you know um, the uh, the resident uh, grumpus, I guess, about <laughs> you know this is not as good a, a direct to video action movie as people are mm -hmm. saying it is, but. Um, to your point about class of so class of is a series that I've been doing for a long while now that um, has some sort of self-imposed rules, but is generally a look at movies celebrating a 20th, 30th or 40th anniversary. Um, I try to do stuff uh, that didn't finish in the top 10 at the box office in a year or get any Oscar nominations. So I, I include song in that. I include sound in that. That has really mm. like, you know, screwed me over a couple of times. I really wanted to <laughs> sure. write about something. It was like, it had like a song nomination. So I was Ugh. like, no. Um, <laughs> I am sort of spinning it off into something. It, they'll, they'll intersect a little bit, but they won't necessarily always intersect, mm -hmm. which um, uh, is, is a series uh, that, that actually anybody from Midwest Journal, Film Journal can contribute to called mm -hmm. uh, Coming Around Again. And kind of the idea is like, these are movies that I didn't like or that anybody that's writing that didn't like the first time, but they're very much in the minority on that. And mm -hmm. kind of, you know, with some distance and some time, you know, kind of coming back to it uh, to see if they feel differently. Um, I kicked that off with probably not the most auspicious of things to reassess <laughs> in December of last year with Paycheck, which mm -hmm. was the last John Woo uh, Hollywood film prior to Silent Night yeah. uh, last, last year. Uh, so, so, you know, paycheck still kind of sucks. It just doesn't suck, I guess, <laughs> as bad as I remembered. Um, sure. And I, and I'm doing it, I'm doing it again, not keeping the streak very positive here, but I'm doing it <laughs> this month with, uh, on deadly ground, which was Steven Seagal's ill-fated foray into directing himself. Oh God. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's bad. I, I'm going <laughs> to guess I probably will enjoy it more now with the hindsight of knowing that it's like Steven Seagal's ecological treatise mm -hmm. with the occasional beatdown <laughs> from the perspective of how stupid that is. Um, wow. 
so so yeah uh lots of writing lots of fun stuff uh you know that you know that i've been doing and that uh colleagues at, at midwest film journal have been doing we've got another fun year planned with Mm. Some special series, and uh, we're looking forward to it. Nice, and I'm looking forward to participating in some of those yeah. series and reading what all you guys put out there because it's, it's you know it's one of my go to websites to check out. Um, of course, yeah, of course. Um, and so, so yeah, so that's all at MidwestFilmJournal.com. Uh, definitely check that out, and I'll put links to all the stuff in the show notes as well. Um, before we get to our featured review for the night, there are there's been a bunch of like news that's come out and everything, but I didn't do my due diligence of preparing too much. So <laughs> there were a couple of things I wanted to kind of just get like your read on here. One, one namely is by the time people are listening to this. This is coming out next week, so um, this is going to be very, very old news, obviously. But uh, <laughs> any any thoughts on the Oscar nominations? Um, any anything stick out? I would say, I mean, there's usually there's usually one movie that gets nominated for Best Picture that I'm like, I just don't get it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it didn't click for me. Um, there really aren't any like that this year. I mean, there's yeah. certainly you know a, a big drop off i think for me from my top ones but i i mean nothing that was nominated in that category fell below like a three out of five for me um okay. usually there's like a two half that that kind of gets in there um so overall i think that crop is pretty strong um i look at it and i guess you know like my armchair prediction instincts uh you know sort of say I think it looks good for Oppenheimer to win mm-hmm. picture director, a lot of tech awards and be the leader for the night while also giving them the opportunity to give a couple of Oscars to the holdovers, a couple yeah. of Oscars to Barbie, uh, you know, a couple Oscars to, you know, something else that they'll kind of spread the love around, maybe poor things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, there's, you know, the Gerwig and Robbie snubs being mm-hmm. what they are, you know, they still got nominated for other Oscars, just not the categories everybody thought they were going to be nominated right. in. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the that the diversification of the voting body mm-hmm. for the Academy is paying off in um, predictable but satisfying ways. I think that, you know, the, the, the notion that you have, uh, you know, multiple films of a foreign language competing for the top prize uh, is is really exciting. Uh, when before that was very much a novelty. Um, you know, obviously, Parasite has set a precedent for such a film mm. winning. Um, but I think that you're going to see more of that moving forward with the more diverse body. Um, overall, I thought the nominees were good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that uh, um, you know the 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 notion that you know it's like the old guard new guard you're gonna see that i think a little more with all due respect to annette benning who has been great in some of the movies for which she's been nominated in the past and lost so many times Hmm. naiad is not a good movie (laughs) he is okay in it Mm -hmm. jodie foster is okay in it i don't know that either of those performers are capable of giving less than an okay performance right uh but i think that's where you're seeing kind of that 
digging the heels in, you know, kind of from the old guard there to say, you know, we have our champions too. We don't yeah. all want to watch poor things and <laughs> past lives. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that shift kind of, you know, moves in the next few years. Um, I think the last thing I would say about it is it's crazy to me that it's not even until March 10th. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's which right. Is, which is Jesus. It's insane that it's that far yeah. away because the nominations have been out for two weeks. Yeah. And we have like another six to seven weeks before God. it's even on. So I know in years past anyway. it's been in like the late late February in yeah. recent years. Yeah, I don't know why they've moved it. I'm sure they have yeah. their reasons, but man, it's just I mean, look, man, by March tenth, I'm the last thing I'm thinking about is twenty twenty three. Oh, so. oh, absolutely. I was talking to I, you. Yeah, it was either it was either Brent or uh, Sam in a previous episode, or maybe it was off mic, but uh, like by the time the Oscar nominations come out, it's like I like I've already done my year in review episode. I've already yep. done my write up and everything. I'm like, i'm I'm digging into twenty twenty four movies, like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I acknowledge, though, too, you and I are in a different position than mm -hmm. most folks. Like, obviously, That's a true. lot of those films are starting to see a wider release now because mm -hmm. of the Oscar nomination profile. But even so, you know, I mean, I would think even for, you know, just everyday moviegoers mm -hmm. by March 10th, I mean, especially with things like Oppenheimer and Barbie, people are like, that was literally almost a year ago. Absolutely. And plus, when you have like, like movies like Maestro and right. uh, other movies that are basically that have already been accessible to people in like December with with streaming releases and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I'm overall pretty happy with the nominations myself. I haven't really dug into them too much, but um, the Best Picture um race is pretty interesting because. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know if they ever if they've if they've actually changed this, but I know that they have the rule where it's it can be up to ten nominees. But I feel like the last <clears throat> few years it has been the max ten ten nominees each year. Yeah. I don't know if they've, yeah, they've changed only, that. No, it's a maximum of ten still. Okay. They, I do I do know I mean they have had years where they've had mm. eight and nine, but I think you're right. I think they have usually in the last several years just had the full 10 yeah um you know i don't know what voting tweaks mm -hmm. you know took place or didn't take place that you know that have caused that variation but but yeah i my guess is they'll probably stick with the full 10 moving forward i think that's probably a thing of the diverse pool of, of oh, voting yeah. folks too you probably have you know more people pushing their favorites to at least get nominated mm -hmm. um so but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's it's not that I don't care about the Oscars anymore. I guess it's just to the point where it's like I I don't write prediction articles. I used right. to have to write those all the time. Like oh, yeah. I just it it got to the point where like you know by the time they were on, I was sort of like I don't even really enjoy watching these. So it's like I you know I yeah. watch them. I do enjoy it. Like I keep up with it. Um, but you know I, I I guess I sort of have a distance from it. And maybe mm -hmm. it's just kind of like you said. It's like our cycle of watching these. It's like you know, we're so far beyond that yeah. in terms of what we've done, what we're thinking about, what we're going to do. Yep. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's it's just kind of a weird, it, again, it's like, you know, time, flat circle, et cetera. Absolutely. So, and the funny thing is like that, that kind of is a good segue into the next thing I have. But um, yeah. like, like our cycle of watching things, as you said, it's like, 
yeah, the nominations, granted at this point, they've been out for a couple of weeks and everything, but the actual ceremony isn't until uh, next month. And like today, today, the <laughs> today Netflix unveiled its slate for the rest of the year, yeah. basically. And like that put me into a mode where I'm like, Okay, which one of these are going to be like ones that I'm going to want to do for like secondary reviews on the podcast? Which ones are these yep. are, are going to be ones that I'm going to want to write reviews for and do like like Patreon stuff or like all of this? And I'm just like the nomination, the Oscars are just like the furthest from my mind right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's a casualty too. You know, I mean, we talk about the 24 hour news cycle. I mean, yeah. that's that you know, it's not just politics; it's entertainment too. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you know. Um, that's certainly a case like that. I think it's funny, you know, you brought up Netflix announcing its slate. Yeah. They have like 50 movies, yeah. whereas Dis- Disney has like 10. <laughs> and that's like all Disney, like Disney, Fox. They Ugh. might squeeze like a couple more in there, but it's just so funny, like how like that has shifted. You know, granted, yeah, you know, not very many of those Netflix movies are ones I personally would like to see. No offense, right. to, Lin- no offense to Lindsay Lohan, who's in two, <laughs> yeah. two of them. That oh, I saw geez. on the list, uh, yeah. but um, and of course, no offense to Woody Woodpecker, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, like what, like there's a Woody Woodpecker animated movie coming to Netflix now. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see like what kind of market research, what kind of algorithmic stuff went into like thinking like we need a Woody Woodpecker <laughs> movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I guess I don't know what kind of like brand penetration Woody yeah. Woodpecker has with you know. Children under ten. Right. I mean, I guess pretty low, but yep. you know, alliterative name, funny looking bird, kind of timeless, right? Yeah. So, yep. I'm sure that's what Netflix is thinking. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, any other any other movies from the big Netflix unveiling that that pop out to you or have are on your radar? Um, there were a lot that just kind of seemed like the same plots of things that they've already done like uh you know i mean due respect like if it's working for them fine Mm -hmm. um there weren't really any that that jumped out i guess i did see that uh, this was sort of after their initial dump of announcements Mm -hmm. that um will ferrell has a documentary that he did uh with with a friend of his who uh came out as a a trans woman Mm -hmm. and uh, I saw that Netflix uh, also announced that they're going to be uh, streaming that. So he, he embarks nice. on a road trip with his friend. Um, so I'm curious to see that. Um, there's stuff in there that sounds like it'll be fun, uh, certainly. Um, uh, there was one. Oh, I can't remember. There was like 50 of them. Uh, yeah. And I and I and I did sort of spin through them and I added them, of course, to, you know, like our site's prep list for things. But mm-hmm. um, there was one I remember there was one that I just kind of chuckled where it was like Jennifer Lopez as like a, a you know, versus A.I. And I'm like, okay. oh, yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> There was one with the uh, you know, Jamie Foxx and Cameron Diaz as you know spies brought back in the game, and it's like that movie, that particular movie has been on streaming like fifty three times. Oh it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> come on, it's it's nuts. Of course, we also yeah. have Rebel Moon Part Two coming. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't know. I I haven't watched Rebel Moon Part One because I'm just gonna watch whatever version. Zack Snyder says is his preferred version. Yeah. Like, and, whatever yeah. they put it on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, there is the latest in a long line of uh, true, like, fictionalized corporate things. Unfrosted the Pop-Tart story. Uh, yeah. 
the directorial yeah. debut of Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's one of those where if it's sort of BSing, if it's like a you know quasi-fictitious story about the launch of the Pop-Tart and mm-hmm. it's Jerry Seinfeld, that could be kind of funny. I mean... You know, I I'm, I wouldn't hold up B movie as uh, you know any sort of like unsung classic, but I right. think it's, as far as kids films from that era go, that's one of the better ones. And mm-hmm. so you know, I don't know if 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 Jerry Seinfeld wants to riff on Pop Tarts <laughs> on Netflix's time, I'll watch that. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I uh, we'll see if I see. I'm so burnt out on that type of movie because. Yeah, there's it's a lot of insane. Too. Yeah. It's just, there's, there's just so many, <laughs> like even like there are like a couple of different, like, uh, like, uh, I think it's Ava Longoria, Longoria made one. Flame and hot. Yeah. Flame and hot. One. Yeah. And then <clears throat> there was the other one that recently came out that I think was about hot sauce or something. Um, I don't know, yeah. but it's, it's just a very crowded market. <laughs> I think um, I think you what you're saying, Matt, is the beanie bubble has popped on that it, particular type. It of movie. has, it has. It is time for another another subgenre of of movie to come in and and put it out of its misery, like the iPhone did to the BlackBerry. Um, <laughs> yes. yeah. BlackBerry being one of the few movies in that subset that's good. Yeah. I oh, I really enjoyed BlackBerry. That's yeah. that's yeah. like the exception that proves the rule for me. Yep. Yeah. Um, but my my final piece of news before we get into the reviews tonight is uh, something that I just I saw just recently before recording was that Brad Pitt will be in Quentin Tarantino's The Movie Critic. Um, how do you feel about this this reunion of Quentin and Brad? Well, I, I mean, I think the two previous uh, films they've done together are, are you know certainly among my favorites of, of Quentin Tarantino's um, same you know I'm, I'm sure you know Brad Pitt doesn't mind uh, since he won an Oscar you know for the, <laughs> yeah. the second one of those um, it'll be interesting to see you know Quentin Tarantino says this is his final movie is you know 10th movie or whatever yeah. like you know okay like you know believe that when I see it it's one yeah. of those like of all of his movies, this seems like the one that probably is the most esoteric in that, mm-hmm. like, how is that going to escape kind of the bubble of people who would just go see something because it's a Quentin Tarantino movie and people who either love the subject matter, uh, love the genre, love who's in it. Like, I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was not a movie that had like mass appeal, right. but it did as, as, you know, as a subject but it did because it had Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie in it. You yep. know, I mean, if you're making a movie about a guy who watches movies, uh, you're going to have to cast that really well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, but but hey, Brad Pitt looks exactly like us. So yeah, that's oh, good. exactly. That's right there. Um, yeah. it's, it's yeah, a burden I'm, too. Cause like it, like I get stopped in the street and I'm right. like, no, 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 no. Why? No, please, it's not. Please, yeah. please, ma'am. I am, I am not Brad Pitt. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I will go see anything Quentin Tarantino makes. I think it'll mm-hmm. just, it'll be interesting to see if and how this sort of breaks that bubble of like his inner movie nerd, uh, in a way that like a lot of his movies have, mm-hmm. you know, he's been shrewd about about making them do that. So I have every confidence he will here. I just think it feels like a, 
a tougher path uh, maybe for this one. Yeah, it definitely seems not knowing necessarily, well, obviously not knowing like what direction he's going to go in with it yeah. or, or how he's going to handle it. It kind of feels like my my kind of assumption is that it might be if not like in like not an inverse but like a like kind of the opposite of of once upon a time in hollywood where that's kind of this love letter to old hollywood and and changing of the guard and and things of that nature this could be something that's a little bit more critical of something that he is so very much entrenched in obviously and, yeah. and passionate about um <laughs> But yeah, and this is a, this is just a, not anything to like to dig into or anything. But the whole like, oh, it's my tenth movie; it's going to be my last one. Like, I I have never really cared about that. <laughs> like, yeah. I know people are like, oh, he has two movies left, or he has like three <laughs> movies left. It's like, okay, like that's not. I don't care. Like that just seems like some such a weird like stunty thing to do. Yeah. Like. It just, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't really resonate with me. <laughs> yeah. And, and just the idea that nothing's ever really dead in yeah. terms of entertainment. Right. I mean, right. you know, look, man, I saw the Eagles on their farewell one tour, uh, <laughs> the same summer that Bend It Like Beckham came out oh, wow. and they're still out there. So mm. like, you know, I, I think that's, he he's, I think he'll do more than. Had, yeah i don't maybe I think, he'll prove us wrong on that too we'll, yeah we'll see. oh yeah i just think that, that someone who is so passionate about his craft and his art and what he does it's i don't see someone spending decades of their life doing something and creating art like that with a preconceived end date right. and have them be like okay i'm done i'm gonna no right. longer do the thing that i'm most passionate about and was born to do right it just seems yeah. a little well, weird yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But I, I, I look forward to whatever, you know, whatever he does for however long he chooses to do it. So. Same, same. And I will go ahead and say it right now. You are, you specifically are invited back to review his 11th movie, <laughs> whatever right. it may That's, be. We'll, we'll make that happen. Yes. Yeah. We'll make him eat crow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The 11th, the 11th movie, which will probably also have Brad Pitt in it. So. Probably. <laughs> Yeah. And feet, of course. Um, so, so that's all the news and stuff that I have, uh, for us. Are you ready to go into our first review of the night, Nick? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So as I said, at the top of the episode, we're going to be reviewing Argyle, which is the new Matthew Vaughn movie. We're going to do a non-spoiler review followed by a spoiler review. I will break up those sections with a clip from the trailer before we go into spoilers later. But if you want to navigate um, around that in the episode, check the show notes for timestamps, which those timestamps can also be found at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV414. And so having said that, let's go into our uh, non-spoiler review for Argyle, which is currently in theaters. It opened on February 2nd. The premise, according to IMDb, is a reclusive author who writes espionage novels about a secret agent and a global spy syndicate realizes the plot of the new book she's writing starts to mirror real-life events in real time. Uh, director was Matthew Vaughn. Writer was Jason Fuchs. Uh, and the cast includes Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, Henry Cavill, John Cena, Dua Lipa, Brian Cranston, Sophia Batella, uh, Catherine O'Hara, and Samuel L. Jackson. So, 
Nick, we went to a screening a couple nights ago, and so we've had time to for it to simmer. I wrote a review on ObsessiveViewer.com, uh, just a quick plug for that. Um, and I believe Evan wrote the review for Midwest Film Journal. Yes. Nice. Uh-huh. Uh, so Nick in non-spoilers, uh, what were your expectations for Argyle and how did you feel about the movie? Um, well, I'm probably a Matthew Vaughn apologist, I guess. Um, you know, Kingsman, the first Kingsman, most people enjoyed, um, you know, it was, it was a big hit. Um, the second Kingsman, the golden circle, um, not as big of a hit, not as beloved, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I but I still liked it. Uh, it was very much kind of like the, you know, the the send up of the uh, James Bond excesses, I guess, like the kind of corny 80s excesses, yeah. uh, you know, where you uh, look when you have your movie, you know, conclude in a, you know, overgrown jungle utopia that <laughs> Julianne Moore has like created, uh, you know, in her ideal image of the world uh, set to. An Elton John song while Elton John is also fighting in this sequence. That's right. Uh, you know, you're you're playing with house money at that point. Um, and, I, and I think Matthew Vaughn does a good job of that. I even like The King's Man, which is the uh, the World War One prequel um, yeah. <laughs> to uh, Kingsman, which establishes how the Kingsman society was set up. Um, I remember seeing that, uh, which they you know, it was sort of a pandemic casualty. Mm. Uh, they eventually sort of scuttled it into to movie theaters, um, you know, around Christmas. Uh, and I just remember going to see it and thinking like, this is one of the most perversely non-actiony things I've ever seen, but I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I mean, it, it has kind of a big action climax, but it was just more of like a historical, historically speculative drama about World War One. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, like with Matthew Vaughn being cheeky and, and, you know, having Rasputin flirting with Ray Fiennes and so on and so <laughs> forth. So, um, so going into this, I sort of felt like, you know, I, I really like the Kingsman stuff, you know, that stuff seems perpetually on hold, you know, every six months, somebody says, Oh, Matthew Vaughn's got a great idea for it. It's like, yeah, I don't know if anybody's going to give Matthew Vaughn any more money for that stuff. <laughs> um, so on his face, Argyle kind of seemed to me like a way for him to do something that was Kingsman-esque in ways that are, you know, very superficial, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but kind of like stay on the radar, I guess. Um, I think the $200 million figure being floated for this movie, I think has to, I think that's how much Apple paid for like the licensing and the rights and all that stuff to eventually stream it and develop other things. I think the movie, you know, the movie obviously cost a considerable amount of money, mm. but I think they made it and then Apple bought it and struck this deal with Universal to release it, you know, theatrically. So there's, you know, a lot of, you know, corporate accountants, you know, employed to make that money work. Um, yeah. So, you know, my thought was, you know, here's him kind of keeping his hat in the ring. Uh, you know, he's able to command still, a, you know, an excellent cast as, as evidenced by the, the litany of names you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, Oscar winners, Emmy winners, uh, you know, all timers like Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and I, I sort of, I went into it thinking, you know, if this is kind of fun, um, you know, I, I can accept that it's PG 13. So I knew it wasn't going to have, 
it wasn't going to hit hard like a lot of his films do, which I yeah. think is part of the appeal to me is that they sort of puncture their kind of candy colored uh, approach with like extreme violence at times. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Degree that it's, to a degree that it's often meant to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I sort of had modest expectations, um, you know, and uh, like Sam Rockwell's character, I'm allergic to cats. Ah. Uh, so, you know, more of a dog person. Kingsman mm. has dogs. Argyle has cats. So that's fair. You know, yeah. Maybe, maybe that sort of tempered my expectation too. <laughs> so nothing against cats. I'm just wildly allergic to cats. That that's that's fair. That that is fair. I of course don't want to offend a cat in your in your orbit too <laughs> right. on the podcast. Yeah, eventually she'll come up here and she'll be my producer and and lay down next scowl, to me, but not yet. Scowl at me like, why do you have this person on? <laughs> exactly, but uh, but yeah, and and uh, for me, I I I was kind of just my expectations for it were just pretty. I was expecting to enjoy it for what it was, which seemed like a just fun early of the year release action spy movie. And I, it's funny because, like, leaving the theater, I thought, like, yeah, this is a, this is a perfectly acceptable three star movie. Like, what the the biggest uh, delineation that I'll have, or the biggest the biggest um, uh, problem that I'll have, is deciding whether or not to put a heart on it on Letterboxd or not. <laughs> um, right. uh, but in writing my review. <laughs> I tend to do this sometimes and it's, I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing, but I ended up talking myself down to 2.5 stars Um, because as it settled, like there was just a lot of things that I found to be just very lackluster. And in the moment, a lot of it was, or rather a lot of the energy was just kind of fun and, and good for me in the moment. But as, as basically as soon as the credits rolled, I was just like, yeah, okay, I'm probably going to forget about this movie. I'm probably not going to be, uh, it's not something I'm going to revisit when it hits Apple TV plus or whatever. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but also as I kind of picked it apart a little bit in my brain in the hours that followed, I was just kind of just a little bit left thinking that, it felt like the type of a type of um, I, I want to say you or Evan may have said this in, in the theater, but um, it seemed like a sanitized Matthew Vaughn action movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And definitely. I don't for, know whether that was part of the deal that he struck. You yeah. Know, who knows? But I mean, it won't fool anybody. I mean, I think even like <laughs> casual, like people with casual memories of Kingsman will remember mm like how bloody those movies are. Oh, like absolutely. If they, if they watch this, they're going to be like, yeah, there's, you know, like li- there are literally moments where like people get shot in the head and there's like no blood. None. And, and like, so they're, like okay. yeah. And like, I, I'm not someone who gets hung up on like, Oh, it's PG 13. So it's, it's right. inherently yeah. not going to be good because of that. But like, it's, it felt like there was just not enough effort in making it, a PG-13 action movie. It was more like, okay, well, we can't you we can't have blood here, so we'll just have like ragdoll effects of people running like falling down and right. just hope that it hope that it makes sense in the edit. And I'm just like I it took me out of the movie a few times and I don't know. And then on top of that, the kind of overall that the whole plot of it 
Um, like you mentioned when we were talking about the Netflix movies that a lot of those movies are the same movie over and over again. And like, this felt like, like how many like espionage action movies do we have where it's a fish out of water, normal person brought into this. Right. And then it's just like, that is such a played out thing. And what this movie does in a unique, in a somewhat unique way is uses, her kind of perspective as a writer who has written this fiction and so she there's like interspersed with like her visions of henry cavill as 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 argyle interspersed with with sam rockwell just kicking ass and like that's interesting but then and and i have to be delicate here but like when the movie kind of gets going a little bit deeper in the plot it just kind of turns into a completely other equally derivative spy plot line (laughs) and it's just it just didn't do anything too too groundbreaking for me it it, it's funny because i know you know obviously we'll have a spoiler portion it's it's extremely difficult to talk about what does and does not work about this movie Mm. without without going into that um i will say I, i i think the moments that i liked most about it once it kind of got to where it was going mm-hmm. you know as we'll we'll reveal in a bit um i think probably to me kind of the, the vibe that it, it aspired to was was one similar to um a movie that came out i think this might have been 2010 already uh night and day with tom cruise and cameron <laughs> diaz um, I, I never saw it but i know which it, yeah. i mean it's it's like a you know it's it's like sort of a romance sort of a comedy mm-hmm. you know it's it's set against this backdrop of espionage where you know she's like an everyday person brought into it he's like the potentially crazy you know spy that's that's bringing her along for this ride um you know i think night and day is a better more confident application of that idea than mm-hmm. argyle but um the things that i liked most about it generally had to do with the fact that um sam rockwell and Bryce Dallas Howard are not the typical personalities or um, like just their their um, you know their their physical build is not the same mm-hmm. as you would typically see. And they sort of play off of that too in the movie, right? With like where you see like Henry Cavill is yeah. like the you know like the traditionally chiseled uh, spy, and you know John Cena is like his muscular you know <laughs> right. his muscular uh, sidekick in the you know the dramatization of the books. Um, and, you know, I think that to me, what, what maybe sets this apart and is probably its biggest asset. And I think for me kind of got it through some of the wobbly story parts were just, those two have good chemistry together. Um, you know, they're both kind of goofs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like they, they really like amp up their, uh, you know, their comic response to things. Um, you know, Rockwell has been dancing in movies, you know, for <laughs> <laughs> a quarter century now and he does yeah. it here and it's always funny uh you know uh, so <laughs> i i think it it the part of the problem with this movie too is i you know and i don't know it it's in theaters so it's theatrical first and streaming second but it mm-hmm. was by and large conceived as something for apple tv plus to stream at some point and spin off into all manner of, you know, TV shows or straight to streaming movies, um, you know, what have you. But mm. this movie feels like it has like four endings. Yeah. Um, which which is a common problem of streaming movies. It's also two hours and 19 minutes long, which is not 
longer really than the Kingsman movies, mm-hmm. but but boy, does it just feel longer. Yeah. And I think it's just because there's ultimately less going on here. Mm-hmm. Um that, you know, they try to spin it out into like good moments for everybody in the cast. Um, which, you know, I mean, Brian Cranston has some really great moments in this. Mm-hmm. Catherine O'Hara has some really great moments in this. Um, Samuel L. Jackson sits and watches the movie <laughs> kind of like we do for most yeah. of the movie. Um, but which you know, it's such a testament to him that he can be just as entertaining, sure. just sitting in, sitting in front of screens. Yeah. <laughs> as he isn't like, anything. I guess I know we're not in the spoiler portion yet. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe they're not a spoiler. Like Samuel Jackson literally spends half of the time he's in the movie watching a Lakers game and clapping. <laughs> yep. Like <laughs> they cut away to him multiple times watching the Lakers game and clapping. Yep. So there you go. <laughs> um, but uh-huh. but yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's fizzy. It's got you know, it's got some pop and some energy that I think mm-hmm. you know, especially kind of their chemistry kind of carries it through the back half. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once it kind of puts its cards on the table. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I mean, not one of my absolute favorites of his, but mm-hmm. you know, I still had I still had a good time with it. Um, yeah. I, I just think I think compared to like the you know, the you know, oh my God moments of some of the Kingsman movies. It's, 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 it's just, it's does not hold up in that regard. I definitely agree. And, and to your point about it being two hours and 19 minutes and feeling that runtime, like I, like I, it's so bizarre to me because it is, the movie is kind of, it, it is, there are different sections of the movie where it transitions into different, uh, like a completely different movie. There's enough content on paper for this to be worthy of that two hour and 19 sure. minute runtime. Like even in the first like half of the movie before, as you put it, before they put their cards on the table, when we're seeing like, like the entire prologue of the movie is like in universe, like in the book, um, uh, visualization of, of what she's writing. And like, there's that, and then there's her whole thing in the first part, and then the rest of the movie. And like the the sum of all of those parts, even with that amount of story and content, it still feels a little bit like it drags at multiple parts because uh, in the grand scheme of things, I just wasn't engaged with really any of that stuff. Like it was fun and energetic in parts and and definitely has that signature like Matthew Vaughn style and visual kind of yeah. uh, uh, set pieces and everything, even if it does look very shoddy with some of the CGI. And like, I yeah. don't, I don't know if that's a budget thing. I don't know if that's a like made for streaming thing or if that's a, a product of, you know, pandemic stuff too. But it just it, like, there were moments when, like there's uh not to get into spoilers or anything but there's there's like a moment where the cat which figures into the plot pretty heavily in the beginning is written basically out of the movie for a bit right. and as and the weir- it's like the weirdest thing it is the weirdest thing and like on one hand i was like okay this is that's dumb like i don't like that i don't follow that as like a a suitable way to like remove this cat from the movie for a stretch and on the other hand i'm like maybe it's good because i don't have to see this just like almost anim like almost a 3d animated like pixar cat in the movie (laughs) because it looks that just 
far away from real life. It's it's funny too because like I know I know how much you love your cat. And oh I mean, yeah. I feel like I feel like anybody like who you know is a responsible um, you know pet parent like will you know will like I could feel like the air shift around you. Oh yeah. Like in the moment where they like take the cat out of the story, like. You know, nothing, nothing terrible happens to the cat. Right, right. We'll tell people that now, but it's just like the way the way that the cat is removed from the story. I was just like, <laughs> nobody would make that decision. Yeah, everything else that happens in the movie, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm following along. I'm good. That's the moment where I had like the biggest like like problem suspending my disbelief. <laughs> like, right. I'm like, you can't. Like, that's not right. That's I, I yeah. Just, it's it was. Very- it was very bizarre. Yeah. It was almost like it was almost like okay, people have uh, folded all of their laundry by now. Watching this, <laughs> yes. we need to move along to whatever, <laughs> like whatever the big reveal is, and then where we're taking it from there. Exactly, like, it was really kind of how it felt. Absolutely, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. And on that note, should yeah. we move on to? Like, we finished folding sure. our laundry. Should we move on to spoilers? <laughs> I think so. I all think so. Right. All right. Well, we are going to go into spoilers. We're going to talk about the real Agent Argyle um, here. Uh, Once again, check show notes for timestamps if you want to navigate away. But I'm going to play a clip from the trailer for Argyle. Once again, it is playing in theaters and it will have a release on Apple TV Plus at some point. Um, Before we go into spoilers, Nick, what did you rate it on Letterboxd? Uh, I gave it a three out of five. Uh, I, I was I was like you. I mean, it was it was, you know, kind of, you know, back and forth. I mean, I think ultimately the, you know, the energy of the cast, I think there's just, there's enough good bits for them to play. Um, yeah, and the movie, I think Matthew Vaughn knows this isn't like, you know, Kingsman level yeah. you know, investment for him, you know, I mean, so, you know, a, a fun kind of knockoffish uh, element of that. So I went with the three out of five. Nice. Yeah. I can't dispute that at all. I had it at a 3.5 or a three, three stars, but now it's at 2.5. So, uh, that's where I landed on it, but we're going to go into spoilers. Here's a clip from the trailer for Argyle. When we come back, we're going to be spoiling the movie. Whoa. Hey, there's a cat in there. Oh my God. You're Ellie freaking Conway. Author of Argyle series, Ellie Conway. I am such a fan. Oh yeah? What is it you do? Espionage. Would you sign my book? Here we go. I love this book. All right, so spoilers on for Argyle. Um, Nick, where do you want to begin with the spoiler section on this review? (laughs) Well, uh, you might as well... um you know, to use the, the parlance of the movie, I guess, let the cat out of the bag. Um, yes. So or real, leave it, it at, leave it, a, leave it just right. with yeah. dead or, bodies. Or leave it, or leave it with a bunch of dead bodies <laughs> yeah. that are about to like come in and like, there's no promise that they will leave the cat alive. Right. That was, I think that was the thing that like, I felt the air change around you. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to just kill this cat. <laughs> right. I was like, God um, damn it. Okay. <laughs> um, which again, they don't cat makes no. it cat survives. Yeah. Um, but uh, so the entire marketing campaign for this movie, which has had one trailer that has played before pretty much every movie that I've seen for the last four months, uh, you know, ends with Samuel L. Jackson promising, you know, introducing to the real agent Argyle. So uh, the real agent Argyle is Bryce Dallas Howard's character, whose uh, first initial is R and whose real last name is Kyle. And so the premise is that she uh, has, um 
you know, this this past life of of being a uh, a spy for a, an agency that turns out to be bad, uh, rather than uh, you know the good deeds that you know they thought they were doing, um, and um, she has been writing these novels as a as a way uh, to arrive at a nugget of information that the bad guys need, uh, and her writer's block happens to intersect with the one point when she gets to the information that they need and want, and so. Um, you know, there's lots more complications from there that involve, you know, Brian Cranston being her dad, but not being her dad, right. <laughs> Catherine O'Hara being her mom, but not being her mom. Mm. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, kind of things folded into that. Um, but then the movie from that point becomes her teaming up with Sam Rockwell, who was her partner in the past and mm. knew her as, you know, Rachel Kyle, our Kyle, um, to, you know, to solve this mystery, to, to do away with the bad guys. Um, it's, it's really funny because, uh, my wife and I are currently, she'd never seen the series. I had watched it when it was on, we're doing, a, a um, we're watching alias, That's the right. series, the TV series. And, um, when it was over, I said, so, okay. So it's like season three of alias where she's figuring out like the two years that she lost, uh, you know, like season two of alias ends with the big time jump. She wakes uh, up and it's two yes. years later and she doesn't know what has happened. And so, yeah. um, so it's like season three of alias where they resolve that crossed with the long kiss goodnight, which is another movie with Samuel L. Jackson, where mm. uh, a woman realizes that she used to be, uh, you know, uh, a super spy and relies on him to, you know, help her figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, um, you know, and the funniest thing is, like I said, it's like you can't even really talk about the movies that Argyle feels like. Right. Or anything else that it feels like other than like Kingsman, which is very just much a visual thing mm -hmm. um, without, without like just completely giving away where yeah. it goes. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, I think. You know, now that we, that we put that out there and the spoiler thing kind of picking up from something that I said before, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard is not the sort of action hero that you, you know, traditionally see. Right. And I think th the thing that really kept it going for me in that second half was they, they come up with some fun and creative ways, uh, you know, and, and she I mean, I think there's some element of like actual, you know, physicality to it that she's mm -hmm. bringing. Oh, it's not just all doubles or digital. I mean, there's there's some aspect of her doing these things. Um, you know, I, that kept it fun for me. Uh, you know, like Sam Rockwell, you know, like I don't mean this disrespectfully, he's kind of a schlubby dude, but yeah. you know, he's you know, watching him do that too was really fun. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I I cared like you, it's like I just didn't I didn't care about the spy plot aspect no. of it. I liked watching them kind of realize and remember these things about each other because they had a good chemistry. Um, you know, also like the long kiss good night, there is a skating action sequence. Although this one takes place in a pool of oil yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that Bryce Dallas Howard is somehow able to, to jam knives into her boots and skate. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, that's the, probably the most like Kingsman-y portion to me. Yes, uh, you know, but but I think as you noted, 
it's not as good as it could have been because it's just so defanged and yep. like you're like you're you're almost like watching for you know okay like this eruption of violence here and like when you right. don't see it it just kind of like well it does two things it it takes away from i think what matthew vaughn is good at mm-hmm. as an action filmmaker and two it's it just like you just like you're not invested in it like you you, you know you just, so this is like a parlor trick almost yeah. right um so so yeah i mean you know, obviously they've built up this big thing. Like there were, you know, internet theories that Taylor Swift was the real agent <laughs> yeah, of Argyle. You know, people thought people thought it was going to be like the cat with Ryan Reynolds' voice or something. Oh, like, you know, I, I hadn't mean, heard that theory. Jesus. Yeah, I had read that somewhere. <laughs> but I mean, ultimately, it's you know, yeah. As Evan noted in his review, it's sort mm-hmm. of the most sensible explanation, right? Yeah. If there's going to be some, you know, kind of big twist. Um, but but at the same time, I think it's funny. Like they basically tell you what it is <laughs> at, at, at the front of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, somebody she's at a book reading where she's literally reading the last few pages of her newest book, which I think is really funny. Like, you know, the, the conceit is that she's like this this you know globally renowned author yeah. now, and you know, <laughs> here she is like as her new book is being released, reading the end of that book. Right, doesn't make any sense. Um, but somebody asks her, you know, oh, you know, Ian Fleming, Frederick Forsyth, John Le Carre, they were all masters of their of their novels and they turned out to be actual spies, you know, and it's like, OK, that's <laughs> probably where this is going. Yeah, um, I didn't pick that up as as a breadcrumb at all. I just it wasn't in my mind at all. But sure. And it's pretty early in the movie. It, it's like you're, it you is know, you're, you're kind of getting oriented. And, yeah, yeah. But like. I do. It's kind of a weird kind of double edged sword because I appreciate to an extent that they went with a, I guess, more realistic way to explain that, you know, she's telling like she's speaking like she's writing about actual things. But then they also have like just a couple of like outlandish things like the whole ice skating with knives thing on oil. And the whole like shooting, shooting Sam Rockwell in the chest and having like the, the like missing, like point, like the, whatever they called it, like the backdoor the vent- heart the ventricle, ventricle, the ventricle chamber or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, that's yeah. All right. I, I will say that that reminded me a little bit of like, you know, the, the thing in Kingsman where Colin Firth gets shot in the head. In yeah. Firth. And then in the second movie, they're like, oh, <clears throat> we were able to get to him right away with a giant bubble that we put over his head <laughs> that like prevented him from dying. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of Kingsman ask. That's right. Yeah. That's kind of funny. That's fair. Um, <laughs> but but I think that's one of those things too, Matt, where like where that happened <clears throat> and she had the reveal where she was like, you know, oh, I'm, you know, she's pretending to be bad, right? Like mm-hmm. she's, you know, and she, you know, she does the big like, you know, oh, I sent the files to to Samuel L. Jackson. Like I thought, okay, well, you know, the movie's going to end now. And then there was like 40 minutes left. And yeah. I was like, okay, well then, you know, now we're going to like skate on the oil and that'll be the end <laughs> of the movie. And it's like, no, there's 20 minutes left. Yeah. And I was like, like what? how much more of this can there yeah. be? Um, you know, and again, it's like, I appreciated having time with those actors and those performances, but mm-hmm. just after a while, it was just like, I've seen, I'm sure you have too, like countless streaming movies that just do not know where to end. And it's like, yeah. 
you know, I, you know, I've watched three and a half hour movies that flew by, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a question of how long it is. It's just a question of, you know, how well it's engaging that story and those performances. And just like, there was kind of a moment where I was like, yeah, okay, we're going to wrap this up. Like, <laughs> you know, they showed the boat exploding in the preview. So that's yeah. going to happen. So, you know, yeah. that's going to happen next 20 minutes so yeah and like telegraphing the the partner coming back and that like that it just felt like as much as the twists and turns were built around being things that would be like oh groundbreaking and or or earth shattering in the movie none of them landed with that effect for me like even the real agent argyle thing just felt like okay yeah what she's she has she's either in uh, an amnesia patient or brainwashed and she was brainwashed okay fine um and then like i got like i felt like the the plot with the hacker like her backstory and everything it was it was convoluted for me because i feel like they didn't do enough to establish like what exactly the MacGuffin of it all was and then i also just didn't care and it just felt like oh it's it's the born identity thing okay cool right yeah yeah and and like the other thing it has in common with alias too is them kind of realizing you know they thought they were you know working for the good guys so it Mm. turns out they were actually working for you know terrorists yeah Uh, so you know i mean it, it you know it has that too but like like you said you know it's so convoluted it's almost it's almost like once they reveal it it, you know it's like well we have to justify the next 70 minutes of of what we're doing here right um you know so we're gonna have to lay on really thick you know Uh, like they also treated like a big moment where like she looked at the you know the files like you know all of the terrible shit that people had done uh you know in the name of this yeah. organization they treat it like a big like reveal that she's on the list right. it's like well of course you would like, be on yeah, the list. Duh. <laughs> you know uh, it, it was it was very weird um just yeah. the way that they kept it moving to mm-hmm. that like you know two hour 20 minute mark um, yeah in in and, oh go ahead sorry no oh, ahead. Go i ahead. was just gonna say i i would be very curious to know what the process was in terms of writing the movie and getting it into production because like like it's come out on social media like like the the press release for the announcement of the movie like three years ago was that she was going to play a uh a secret agent who has no memory or something and it's Uh like they gave it away right there and like yeah at what point did they decide to make that the major like twist of the movie what at what point did they make that the crux of of the storyline at what point in production? Cause everything else just feels like just very loosely set around it. Um, and the, like I said, it just doesn't have that weight to it. Sure. Yeah. So the other thing I was going to say, mm-hmm. um, this, okay. We see this all the time. Uh, we joke about it. It's like, you know, credit cookies for movies that will never get made. Yes. Right. Like people, people that cast in roles that were probably like, Oh my God, this is my big break. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, uh, Joe Manganiello as, as Deathstroke. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Yeah. You're never going to see him again. <laughs> um, this, this movie has what has to be like without like, like on its face, like in the moment, like the most confusing credit cookie that i have ever seen yes because because for starters 
it 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 takes place at a pub called the king's man <laughs> right and i heard people like rose behind us like losing their mind yeah at the notion that it was going to cross over with kingsman which you know like completely different studio i'm sure mm-hmm. disney is not going to want to make that happen with right. apple tv and universal but who knows um and i think i have sussed out that it is supposed to be the younger version of Henry Cavill, who shows mm-hmm. up as a real person at the end of the movie, uh, and presumably a real spy. Yeah. So it's a younger version of a character we've just seen 30 seconds earlier, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh being in, in trouble and getting inducted into this like spy thing. And then it says Argyle, book one, the movie coming soon. And so I think what the plan will be is like on apple tv plus or maybe in theaters if this is a hit who knows like that young (laughs) explanation of i was just like this is insane like who i had to talk it over (laughs) Mm -hmm. like with i was like what is what what the hell was that like yeah I i didn't get it in the moment i'm like okay this has to be what it is but like i'm I'm thinking like this that's gonna like make people what yeah Uh, i didn't even put together the whole argyle the uh, book one the movie thing like it's like it's such a weird like rabbit hole of of disconnected things in a very short succession of time (laughs) like it's like trying to like mythologize your property before people have even experienced it. Yes. It's, like the, it's the weirdest thing. Yeah. And it's even the weirdest thing to me. And even like the reveal of Henry Cavill, it's like he doesn't look like the Argyle that she's has visions no. of. He just looks like kind of like a <clears throat> schlubby version of himself uh, to an he extent. Has a Danny McBride haircut. I thought yes. I thought maybe it's gonna be Danny McBride or something. <laughs> um when they showed him from the back, I was like it's like that'd be pretty funny, but, so but yeah, weird. I mean, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like I'm gonna guess this movie's not gonna do all that well. Mm. It will probably do well on Apple TV Plus, which is kind of the ideal spot to watch it, right? right? Like, if you get a little bored with it, you can pause it, you can get some food, you can come back to it, you can finish it later. I mean, it's yeah. like you know, for better or worse, a lot of streaming films are made that way. Yeah. It's just how it is. <clears throat> Um, you know, I, I sort of joked with with Evan in the parking lot. I'm like, so is this going to be like Matthew Vaughn's version of like Army of the Dead with Zack Snyder uh-huh. on Netflix, where they had like a completely superfluous prequel with like one of the thieves from Army of the Dead? That's like, right. That like nobody, you know, it's like <laughs> nobody gives a crap about that stuff. Yeah. Um. Jesus. So yeah, I mean, I just I feel like you know. That also feels like the other thing I said was I think ultimately the goal of that credit cookie is to get people to watch The King's Man Mm. because it was just sort of abandoned in movie theaters. (laughs) Like like Matthew Vaughn reminding people like, hey, I made a third King's Man movie. Probably didn't see it. Uh, Please go watch it. That's (laughs) that is the best theory that I've heard about that, because like I can't I can't like make sense of it even with like it. It just feels like a nothing, a nothing thing. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, overall thoughts, I, I, it's fine. Like you said, it's a fine, finely streamable movie. Um, it's it's better than 
some other spy movies that are similar to it. It's oh, better than Ghosted. Sure. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> but but yeah, I just feel like it, it could have been so much more if it made any sense, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one so. of those things like it, it, it's very much a like enjoyable in the moment doesn't really hold up to like any kind of scrutiny which again mm. like you know neither do the kingsman movies right like, frankly i mean so it's like it's really not that like that shouldn't be the barometer you know to yeah. to, to judge it but um i think it just it, it lacks like those distinctive qualities that that matthew vaughn brings to things exactly um in a way that like makes it kind of stand on its own apart from you know the way there's a lot of, you know, pastel colored smoke that yeah. resembles, you know, the heads exploding at the end of Kingsman. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, that was it's very much like a PG-13 version of that scene. <laughs> exactly. And like um, that sequence worked so well for me specifically because the the different colors of the smoke and everything concealed the fact that there's no blood or anything like that's right. the correct way to do that. And then yeah. Yeah. right from there, it's like, OK, we're going to go ice skating and and. Uh, like cut a bunch of people without any, any anything yeah. well maybe the oil maybe the oil absorbed all the uh, yes immediately <laughs> yeah. i don't know that's fair <laughs> no I'm, I'm i'm not that deep of a matthew on apologist so i mean nice. again fun movie yeah. enjoyable I, I think you know ultimately you know it will be like a medium profile blip in the streaming world. Like, yeah. you know, I, I don't see this becoming like, you know, a franchise no. for any of it really, mm. you know, no. I mean, I, somebody said there's like an actual Argyle book. It's like, yeah, that's about the last thing I'm interested in reading. <laughs> right. And that was um, also speculated to have been ghost written by Taylor Swift, which right. Which, what, sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, Hey, maybe all the people who think that Taylor Swift is a big psyop on the NFL will <laughs> really, really like the twist in this movie. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> who knows? Jesus. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, we can, we can wind down with our review overall. Like I, I don't really recommend it. I recommend it as like a rainy day streaming movie. I don't see it as something worthy of going to the theater for, which is, is a, is a big indictment of it in and of itself, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, do you want to go ahead and do uh, our secondary review? Sure. Which, yeah. yeah. All right. We're going to talk about David Ayer's The Beekeeper. Um, uh, there's a little bit in spoilers that I would want to touch on here, but this can be a brief review. So I'm going to go ahead and just bring us into a non-spoiler review, and then we can go into spoilers, of course. Uh, the Beekeeper is available on PVOD right now uh, as of January 30th. It is also in theaters. Uh, the premise is one man's brutal campaign of vengeance takes on national stakes after he is revealed to be a former operative of a powerful and clandestine organization known as Beekeepers. Director was David Ayer. Writer was Kurt Wimmer. And the cast includes Jason Statham, Emmy, uh, Emmy Raver Lampman, Josh Hutcherson, uh, Jeremy Irons, Mini Driver, and Felicia Rashad. So, Nick, it's been a while since you've seen this, uh, and you wrote a review on Midwest Film Journal. How did you feel about The Beekeeper? Um, so, I've seen 11 movies that were released so far this year. The Beekeeper nice. is still my favorite. Nice. Um, you know, uh, look, I, I won't <laughs> pretend that this is a great movie, uh, you know. 
I will tell you, having seen 40 Jason Statham movies now in my lifetime, this 40? Being the 40th, 40, yeah. Holy crap. Um, this is one of the better ones. Uh, it's up there with the cranks, uh, mm. the crank films, I would say, uh, and um, <laughs> Wrath of Man, which I also really like. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it's funny that we were talking about a Matthew Vaughn movie because, like, this, this is kind of like some of like the, the things that Matthew Vaughn does really well, which is yes. like an inherently ridiculous premise. Like, cause this is also sort of a spy movie yep. in theory, although it's really just, you know, like vengeful ass kicking. Yep. Um, but it's so ridiculous and they keep throwing <laughs> in, like they keep throwing in like even more ridiculous, but completely enjoyable and completely uh, appropriate things for this movie. Right. Yes. Um, you know, all the way down to like the the last twenty minutes, introduce this guy named Lazarus who looks like <laughs> it's like if Seth Rogen played a Hanna Barbera character who <laughs> killed people and spoke with a South African accent. It's like That's the, where they perfect. got this guy. Like as soon as he started talking, like I, I went to it. They had a sneak preview of this movie mm. before it opened in wide release. And my wife and I went to it. And as soon as this guy started talking, like he's sitting there and he's like playing video games and he's like, he's just like crass and shouting. And like <laughs> we both just started laughing at like the sheer concept of this character. And he has um, a great fight scene. Oh, it's uh, so good. With, with Jason Satham uh, toward the end. Like, yes. Just a phenomenal fight scene. Um, so, you know, <laughs> this, this, this movie is dumb. You know, like people will liken it to John Wick. It's, it, I mean, it's got some of the same people doing some of the fights, so it has mm. some of that that same feeling. Um, but like, yeah, you know, this doesn't hold a candle to John Wick. Oh, but no. it is, but it is, but it is an incredibly enjoyable, gleefully violent, mm -hmm. very funny, um, and with some just completely absurd twists <laughs> that are absolutely hilarious. <laughs> um, you know, and we can talk a little bit about that in the spoiler sense. Yeah. There's like one thing about it that probably kept it from it being like a four out of five for okay. me. Like, but it, it's a solid three point five out of five. Um, but yeah, but, but yeah. I mean, I just I think look when Jason Statham doesn't care, you get like <laughs> The Expendables four, which is one of the worst movies from 2023. Then like wow. for this one, it's like clearly he like locked into what it was doing. And this is, you know, this is a perfectly enjoyable Jason Statham movie. Yeah. So. I, I was, I, I also rated it three and a half stars. Like it's, it's definitely a, an extremely solid movie. And it also kind of, um, satiated some of that, some of that, like you said, gleeful violence stuff, uh, yeah. that I found missing in, in, uh, in, in Argyle. Um, like there's an elevator scene that just yeah, like, a man yeah. is cut in half by an elevator just, in this like, movie. So if that sounds good to you, just go for it. Yeah, the whole I, movie will delight you. Yeah, I gasped. And I was just like, I was so caught off guard because it is a violent movie. It is like an R-rated action movie, but it's not, it's not like overly violent. Like there are sequences where like, I mean, he cuts off people's fingers and does all of these other crazy things. But a lot I, of it's kind of a little bit subdued in some places. Um there's a whole sequence where he is it it kind it's basically like a a slasher movie like mm -hmm. horror sequence in a barn with yep. him just dispatching these guys that are coming after him and I'm like this is really good this is a really good combination of just tense uh tension and 
like hopeful uh hopeful violence because right. you want to see these people get yeah. you know just annihilated by this guy because it's and, the premise is a universal thing like okay yeah the these people have scammed an old lady and they like it's built around this whole premise of people scamming people out of out of all of their money and like right. that's something that is just so uh it digs in deep. I I loved it. Yeah. Well, and I think too. So I mean, there's there's one moment early on where um. So so they also like the funniest thing is like okay, Jason Statham is a beekeeper. Mm-hmm. His character keeps bees. <laughs> yeah. But then he also was formerly a beekeeper, capital B, <laughs> which is like the suit, the secret, you know, uh, like moral arbiter of mm-hmm. like what's right for America, operating outside the construct of any other law enforcement. It's, <laughs> so funny um but but he says like you know like uh praying on old people is is uh is like praying on children only it's worse and he says something like children have parents that look out for them old people don't have people who look out for them and you know it sounds kind of goofy like talking about it now yeah but, like statham sells it so well he does and, like you said I absolutely want to see him burn every last person in this movie down it's oh like, yeah it's so it's very good about just like being effective for like the two minutes it needs to be dramatically effective and then just setting him loose on his quest to murder everybody responsible yeah. oh so. absolutely and like it's even to the point where i like if if i wasn't so entertained uh, entertained by it i would be poking holes in oh, it i would be nitpicking yeah. the hell out of it like sure. i could uh, like i could I could have just swayed my entire opinion of the movie on the fact that um, that the FBI agent just like the whole fact that her mother, what happens to her mother is just like, just like it doesn't matter to her. or It, it doesn't, it doesn't resolve. Yeah. It's just, it's something that happened. It's like, okay, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But then, then a dude gets cut in half in an elevator and I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. there. Cool. <laughs> so, that might, be, that might be the spoiler break for, for this one. I think I so, think. too. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go into spoilers, a quick spoiler section for The Beekeeper. So uh, check show notes, timestamps, all of that. I'm going to play a clip from the trailer, and then we're going to spoil The Beekeeper. You're telling me one man did this. The only thing you know is he's a beekeeper. A beekeeper, a beekeeper? That's not good. Beekeepers is a special program outside the chain of command. I protect the hive. When the system is out of balance, I correct it. We have laws for these things. Until they fail, then you have me. My fingers, he cut them off. Oh, what the fuck, bro? <laughs> so, spoiler. <laughs> it's such a even without the visuals like it's just such a great it's just such a great audible sequence it's so great (laughs) so great uh spoilers on for the beekeeper um yes so I i will say one thing um i was a little bit annoyed because the imdb credits spoil something in the movie that i feel like i would have gotten more enjoyment out of so it's probably my own fault as i was watching it i was um 
I watched it today, and as I was watching it, I was figuring, like, okay, well, I have a very tight time frame before recording, so I might as well just, like, make sure the notes are all all set up and everything. So I went to the IMDb page, I started making the notes and everything, and then I saw the credit for, um, I can't remember the actress's name, but uh, it just said President Danforth, and I was like, why, why would you put that in the, why would you make that her credited character name? yeah. See, and, and so I did, I mean, we literally saw like a sneak preview before it was, mm-hmm. was out. I hadn't screened like, you know, so, you know, I had no idea about that going in. Mm-hmm. So where this goes, you know, Jason Satham promises he's going to take this all the way to the top. Yeah. All the way to the top, baby. He's going to take <laughs> them all down. All the way at the top happens to be the president of the goddamn United States. <laughs> yeah. Which um, I also feel like the script is so like married to the like analogy to beekeeping into bees and everything that I feel like the like literally the only reason why they made the president a woman is so that they could refer to her as the queen bee the and queen. The, yeah. refer to him as queen slayer and all that. Right. Yeah. Um, and and so like you're probably wondering like what would the president stand to gain from like ripping off old people? Well, the, <laughs> yeah. the notion is that her her you know her ass bag son mm-hmm. played by Josh Hutcherson has been skimming and contributed to her campaign fund by stealing the life savings of elderly people across the United States. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know this this all comes out in like mad rushes of of exposition yeah. uh, from from, <laughs> from Jeremy Irons and Minnie Driver and a lot of other like great actors that pop up for yeah. like two minutes that you're like, okay, how did they get them for this? Right. Um, but um, so I think the thing like, like, look, I'm not complaining about that development. Um, I no. think it's, it's hilarious. It perfectly fits. <laughs> it perfectly fits for like where they're going. The thing mm-hmm. that, the thing that probably kept, I was like, okay, look, are they going to make a movie that ends with Jason Statham murking the president of the United States right. because they're, they're like a terrible person because I'm like, <laughs> that would be something, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that would be something in any January, let alone an election year, January. Right. Um, movie Jesus. does not go there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, but it's still like it's a satisfying ending. I think that's oh, yeah. just kind of the thing. That's probably like what kept it from like, like going through the the roof of the theater for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, you know, and and they, you know, but they do like, you know, they they do hint that like the, the you know the president did not know this was happening, and they they right. sort of you know they sort of position her as being you know kind of this you know patsy in this plan mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, the other thing that I thought was really hilarious about this movie is they you heard a little bit of it in the in the trailer there. They they position the beekeepers, the 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 you know, the agents that you know, as being mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, they can make a moral decision on their own because they've got the 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 benefit of the country in the back of their mind at all times. Like they they are very clear about like, you know, that that's that's why they operated and how they operated. Right. Okay. Uh, so Jason Statham is a former beekeeper. He's retired. He's not doing it anymore. At one point, they call in, quote, the current active beekeeper to, <laughs> I to, love to, kill, to kill him. All right. Mm-hmm. The, the current active beekeeper is a psychopath with no regard for human life that destroys a gas station and like any number of like people to try to kill him. Mm-hmm. And it's like that person's not operating in the, the best interest right. of the United States. Like, what, a, what a load. <laughs> like, I mean. So it's like 
the movie kind of tries to do it does a little bit of like what argyle does which is kind of like mm. mythologizing itself like as yeah. it's going but but it's also just like so patently ridiculous and enjoyably done that you, you you're kind of like okay well you know that's kind of a load like jason statham was a good beekeeper the rest of these beekeepers are just psychopaths right um, and i and i love that because it sets it up as like oh this is going to be she's going to be like the big bad this is the first right. altercation between them and then he just he sets her on fire and she's oh, yeah. it's just yeah, she's gone within yeah. like two minutes i was like that's that's great that's great and then the uh, you said his name was lazarus at the, yeah, at the end it, i only just... know that from the credits i don't okay. think they referred i don't think lazarus, so either but, but like um, that he has his own lore in the movie and i know right it's well, so good he talks about like they, he's like he talks about how he killed a beekeeper which made me think like <laughs> how many beekeepers were there before yeah like, before or after jason statham like who, you know like they couldn't have been that good if this guy killed one of them right. um so yeah they're just like funny stuff like that but it's like the sort of thing where like you could see them you could see them like doing a show mm. right like a spinoff of it where like Jason Statham shows up for like one episode or something. Yeah. And, you know, it's on, you know, streaming on Amazon or something like that. Mm. Like, um, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I would be surprised if, you know, at the end of March, you know, that that movie is still my favorite movie of 2024, <laughs> yeah. but it is right now. Um, yeah. Just so, so goofy, so mm. enjoyably dumb, um, highly recommended. Same for that sort of thing. Same here. It is. It's just. It is. It's. It's a blast. It's. It's just an absolute blast. Like I didn't care too much about anything going on. I was just along for the ride. And sure. yeah, it was. It was. It was so much fun. Like I. Like I kept thinking during like the the big finale of it. I kept thinking like like how like imagine that something like that happened in the real world. Like what would happen to the media like what would like what would happen in terms of like what what the world perceives of what happened there <laughs> and like right. even de- like <laughs> yeah it's just it's so it's so bizarre um so much fun so much fun yes um yes. yeah do you have anything else on the beekeeper um um no, i don't think there's really that, i mean not much yeah i mean it was <laughs> I mean, I guess it was nice to see. Um, so, so you mentioned David Ayer was the mm-hmm. director of this. Uh, yeah. You know, he he sort of um, you know broke out with uh, with End of Watch a few mm-hmm. years back, uh, and sort of specialized in you know like this you know sort of you know corrupt cop or yeah. you know uh, kind of uh, you know cop in turmoil kind of story. Um, he then. Um, he then did Suicide Squad, which, right. <clears throat> which I think is terrible. Same, <laughs> um, but but he insists a good version of it exists somewhere that yeah. you know people will never see, and he sort of dropped off uh, after that. Also, did a very bad streaming movie for Netflix called Bright oh, with that's Will, right. Will Smith as a human cop with Joel Edgerton as his like what orc or oh elf I think it was orcs or something, yeah I something. I never saw it but Jesus yeah. <laughs> Yes, David Ayer, David Ayer kind of, you know, fell off of Mm. what he was good at. And so, you know, this was just kind of like, okay, this is a a big, dumb action movie. Let's get good choreographers in here. You know, let's get people who know how to make make punches land and make fights feel real. Um, Like the moment, uh, the moment where he um, at the end where he's fighting Lazarus and like they they establish that Lazarus has a has a a missing leg from his previous battle with the beekeeper. 
not Jason Statham's beekeeper, but right. a different one. Um, there's a moment where like Jason Statham like realizes like, oh shit, this guy's got a false leg, and he just like kicks, he kicks it out. It, yeah, and and it like it's so good. It like happens <laughs> at like the perfect moment of the fight too. Um, it does. So, so yeah, um, yeah. But I noticed that like there there's some of the same names that did um, uh, John Wick Chapter Four specifically okay. were involved with action choreography. So nice. Yeah, uh, the the fights and the action sequences are extremely well done. It's just a good like meat and potatoes like watch Jason Statham stomp fools. Uh, you know, just just good stuff. I mean, not yeah. not challenging, not challenging. You know, whatsoever. But uh, absolutely, and, and sometimes satisfying. exactly. Sometimes that's exactly what you need out of an action movie like this. It's just it is it's it's great. It's it's great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I rated it three and a half stars. Did you say you rated it three and a half yep. too? Nice. Also three and a half. Yep. Nice. Uh, well, maybe someday we'll get more beekeeper movies. I don't know. But... I think we will. It's done pretty well, surprisingly. Nice. Um, you know, I think it's made some decent money worldwide, and I think it's done like Good. 40 or 50 million here, which for a Statham movie is kind of on the high end if it's not, right. you know, The Mag or, you know, Fast and Furious. So, yeah. Yeah. 40 movies. I can't, like, I can't, I don't think I've seen more than maybe 10 uh and that's that's well, a, I mean, the, a lot of them aren't very good sure um you know but, but like i said i would put this one up there with with uh among the best of his stuff nice so. nice yeah i think he did he did a good job he was great yeah in um so that's our uh secondary review of the night the beekeeper and we've got a little bit of time i do want to do a quick potpourri section if you're good with yeah. that nick all right awesome yeah, of course. all right so we're gonna go ahead and wrap up the episode with a potpourri section which is the part of the episode where we kind of uh wrap things up and talk about stuff we've watched lately things we're looking forward to whatever we want as long as it smells good and i'm actually going to play a little bit of a stinger to bring us into potpourri which that's just a part of the theme song so um, i want to say too i think i've told you i think every time we talk about your podcast like i mm-hmm. specifically i can tell you i love your theme song i love that you have it it sounds great oh my god is fantastic. that Thank Always you. Love hearing. Yes, yeah. I I adore it. Uh, shout out to Mike, of, of course, and as good as it gets, his band. I just I like. I remember, uh, we we he and I worked worked out like the the theme song mechanics and everything. And I remember I was like in, I was in the car with with Jess back when she and I were dating, and we were at like we were at like the um uh a car wash and like in line and then mike just sent me a text saying like hey i have like a sample of uh like i have a rough cut of of the song and i was like uh okay yeah i know right You're and like, so, oh God, what is this gonna be? yeah and like i had all faith that he would be great uh that it would be great just to be clear but like i listened to it and it's like it's like de- a demo version and everything it's not as polished and everything and like i I felt like chills because it's just so it was, uh, yeah, I love it so much. So it's like, it's just such a great, like when, when somebody like gets what you gets what you wanted, like, and like, not only do they nail it, but they like exceed it. It's just like, that's such a great feeling. And, 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 you know, I'm always like, when I hear that song, I'm just like, God damn, they really, they really nailed it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I highly recommend checking out As Good As It Gets on Spotify, everyone. Um, But we are going to go ahead and talk some potpourri. Um, So um, I've got one thing I want to talk about, Nick. um, uh, I'll I'll let you go ahead and go first if you have anything. Um, You had mentioned before a series of movies that you watched. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we're we're really we're really getting into the highbrow stuff on this particular (laughs) 
this particular episode, aren't we? Um, so, um, you know, it's actually kind of a natural segue, though, because nice. uh, there's something that uh, the website Vulture has mm-hmm. uh, has started to do um, that, um, you know, a certain subset of critics, uh, I'm not part of this subset, but they created this last year um, and they were stunt awards. And so the kind of the mm-hmm. idea was, you know, the Academy <clears throat> Awards still have not as yet created an award for best stunt choreography, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, the drum has been beaten for that, uh, you know, quite strongly within the last 10 years, especially with the John Wick films, all of yeah. which would be would be worthy of, of such an award. Um, so they've created, you know, categories like, you know, best action film, best fight, you know, best stunt, uh, best vehicle stunt, best stunt that's not in an action film, you know, things like that. So it's just like kind nice. of a fun, a fun, you know, cross section of, of categories. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they opened it up where it's like, you know, Hey, if, if you have some, you know, clear, you know, interest in or experience with, you know, like you can cast your vote in these things if you want. So, nice. uh, you know, I found the contact info mm-hmm. for one of the people that helped create this and you know reached out to him and said you know hey you know here's my credentials blah 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 you sent me the ballot so i'm like looking it over um and there in one of the categories was a movie called uh sniper grit g-r-i-t which stands for global response and intelligence team okay and i'm like okay and i look it up and it is the 10th movie jesus <laughs> in this in a franchise that dates back to 1993 initially with a movie called sniper that had tom berenger and billy zane as like a you know seasoned sniper and a young upstart in the jungles and in panama like you know trying to take out uh you know dictators and you know you know drug cabals and all that stuff Mm -hmm. i saw sniper back in you know like 1994 when i rented it or whatever you know i've been you know 14 years old and thought nothing of it for like <laughs> frankly until now <laughs> but i was like it's the 10th movie i'm like you know i could probably watch that movie and and you know weigh in on that fight scene but like yeah damn why don't i watch all 10 yeah you need uh, the context i need the context so <laughs> so i i just finished that one uh the other day um and uh so so think about this Started in 1993. This one was 2023. They've had 10 movies. Uh, uh, I would say most of them have had Tom Berenger in them. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. So, so they did Sniper <laughs> They did Sniper 2 and Sniper 3 that were straight to DVD like in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, then in 2011, there was like an eight-year break between the third and the fourth one. They did Sniper Reloaded. Okay. which comes up with a phantom son out of nowhere. Like this <laughs> character never talked about having a kid, but of course Love he it. has a kid. He's also a sniper. <laughs> um, so then they did that one and then they did sniper legacy where they brought Tom Berenger back. Nice. And reintroduced him to his son. Billy Zane has come back for a few of these. Like he's not in all of them, but he's in some of them. Okay. Tom Berenger is in some of them, but not all of them. Uh, Dennis Haysbert, who was oh. President Palmer on 24. Of course. He, he has been in them for like the last 10 years as like a wow. CIA chief. Um, <laughs> at one point, Tom Berenger is like 
the Mr. Nobody character from mm. the Fast and Furious movies, like out of nowhere, <laughs> like leading a team. It's like, okay, whatever. Um, so um, most of them are like, you know, in like the two and a half to like three star range, I would say. Sure. The, the, the ninth one is not very good because they try to get too funny with it. Like they try to like uh. make it like too funny for, I mean, it's, they try to make like an action comedy about sex trafficking, which is like not Ooh. doesn't work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this newest one is like, it's weird because I can't imagine anybody would enjoy it as much if they didn't know like the characters coming in, but it's just like a better mix of like a funny, goofy action thing. And they actually get a lot of mileage out of their money for what is essentially a straight to streaming mm-hmm. movie. Uh, and the fight scene is excellent. Uh, it's like, nice. you know, a lot of, lot of long take work, uh, you know, good martial arts. Um, you know, so I would say on balance, I'm glad I watched these. I'd say there's really only one uh, that I would put at a 3.5 out of 5. Um, wow. If anyone really cares to know, <laughs> it's, it's a Sniper Ghost Shooter, uh, which okay. is from 2016 and has sort of like a, you know... Um, kind of a, a drone element to it, but it's done in a way that kind of plays into the, the sniping aspects and has some good supporting performances. So, yeah, um, you know, you know, maybe I'll watch something that doesn't rot my brain in February. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, don't hold your breath, right? Nice. Uh, but, you know, it's just the sort of thing, it's like, you know, it was almost like there's 10 of these movies. That seems insane to me. That's 30 years of sniper movies. Yeah. Uh, let's see what that's about. And I did. Nice. Uh, I may, uh, maybe I'll dip my hand or dip my toe in, uh, in that franchise a little bit. I don't know. Cause it sounds kind of interesting, but, um, but yeah, to like to do a very steep, uh, or very, very, uh, uh, quick left turn out of action movie stuff. Sure. Uh, my potpourri, if you want to get out of the February brain rot movie, uh thing um the thing i'm going to bring up is actually a movie that as of this recording is going to be opening i think uh in theaters this week um it's fitting in it is a movie by uh filmmaker molly mcglynn i believe it's based uh on on her uh real life story um it's a coming of age drama she's writer and director for it the plot is a teen girl is diagnosed with a reproductive condition that upends her plans to have uh, to have a sex life propelling her to explore unusual methods uh her relationships are challenged with everyone in her life but most importantly herself um i found this movie to be very interesting i am a sucker for teen coming of age dramas teen teen coming of age comedies uh, this one in particular is pretty uh, strong because, uh, b- by the way, it stars Maddie Ziegler and uh, Emily Hampshire. Um, they play mother and daughter. And what I found really interesting is that the the teenage like dialogue feels very genuine, very very like authentic, and none of the none of the drama veers into melodrama. Like this this girl discovers that she basically was born without a uterus and doesn't have like like the correct parts in her you know vagina mm-hmm. and. It's at a time where she is, you know, coming of age into a woman in in uh in an into adulthood. And meanwhile, her mother is someone who's dealing with um like losing her mother 
And she also uh, is a breast cancer survivor in the movie. So there's an interesting like mother daughter relationship in this movie that plays plays out in such an authentically dramatic way um, that never feels like it's it's it never feels like that teenage like angst uh conflict between mother and daughter it just feels like oh we're both going through things and we're both not really talking the way that we should or we're not communicating the way that we should through these experiences that we're having we're going to learn to communicate with each other and it's going to be repaired um and that's like one small part of the movie because a lot of it is dealing with um Lindy is the character's name, her dealing with, you know, the, the, the self shame that she feels for being born this way and discovering her identity and figuring out what works for her and like who she is as a person, um, while also can going to doctor's appointments and figuring out like what, what she can do in, in respect to this condition that she's suddenly found, found herself in. And it's just a really well done coming of age drama um, that just feels very, very good and authentic for the story being told. And I just really liked it. So um, it's called Fitting In. It is in theaters. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely check that out. I always um, I always enjoy seeing uh, Emily Hampshire pop up in things, uh, uh, having been a a fan of hers on on Schitt's Creek. and uh, she's briefly in self-reliance. It sounds yep. like she's maybe got more of a, 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 a meteor role here. So absolutely, uh, I have to check that out. Thanks for the recommendation. I yeah, it. I definitely recommend it. Absolutely. And I might, I should hopefully have a review on obsessiveviewer.com by the time you guys are listening to this. So uh, if I do, I'll have a link in the show notes. Um, that will do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Um Nick, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, and taking the time to to chat with me. Um, Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, of course. And uh, before we go, can you tell people where they can find you online and anything you have coming down the pike in terms of reviews and anything? Yeah. Uh, so you can find uh, all of my work at um, Midwest Film Journal, all one word, dot com. Uh, you can also find my reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I've got an archive uh, dating back uh, not quite to the first sniper, but, uh, <laughs> you know, only maybe a few years shy of that. Nice. Um, and uh, projects coming up, uh, you know, just got more uh, class of series, um, you know, more stuff kind of coming uh, to theaters in February. Um, we're going to have some uh, focused series on Russell Crowe. Yes. Um, Meryl Streep, Denzel Washington coming up this year on Midwest Film Journal. So we're really excited about those. And uh, we'll have some other surprises, I'm sure, sprinkled throughout the year. Um, but uh, you'll you'll be part of that too, Matt, I'm sure, as you, as you always are. We love, we love hosting your work there as well. And, Thank and, you. <laughs> uh, we, we're just looking forward to another fun year. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to see what all you guys have uh, going on this year. And uh, once again, you can also follow Nick on Letterboxd at RageCage79, uh, Cage with a K. Um, yep. Yeah, and that'll do it for this week's episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Next week, uh, Tiny and I are going to be doing an extended potpourri episode, so that should be a lot of fun. And then following that, we'll do an episode on Madam Web. Uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, once again, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and check out the other podcasts, uh, tower junkies and anthology, uh, for more of my voice in the internet. Um, (laughs) once again, Nick, thank you so much for joining me and, uh, thank you guys for listening and I'll see you next week. 
And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive feed. For this and more exclusive content, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. And I don't know how to reckon that with my uh, disappointment with how on the nose that uh, flirtatious stuff was throughout the end of this episode and the beginning of this episode. Uh, granted, it's also not a lot of time for them to really grow as characters or grow into this romantic coupling Um so maybe that's part of it that I feel like maybe it was too heavy handed in the beginning of the episode and the end of last episode. Um, and maybe the reason for that is because they are getting separated at the end of this episode. But when they are kind of just talking it out and they're talking about their uh, their attraction to one another and and they're kind of talking about how, you know, like Brother Constance, like, I thought you were going to, you know, bang me. Thank you for listening to the Obsessive Viewer podcast. This episode was produced and edited by me, Matt Hurt. If you have feedback, thoughts on our reviews, or just want to connect, you can email me at matt at obsessiveviewer.com. For more information on all of our shows, including a full archive of our episodes and show notes, plus plenty of written reviews, visit obsessiveviewer.com. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a follow on social media and subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice so you never miss an episode. Also, consider rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Audible to help increase our visibility and help grow our community. If you want to support the show and help keep us going while getting early access to new episodes as well as a steady stream of exclusive content, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Our theme song is A Little Mad Sometimes by As Good As It Gets. For more of their music, check them out on Spotify and at asgoodasitgetsmusic.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.